1: all
2: right what is going on everybody how you doing what's up welcome to the future award-winning Talk of buffalo podcast where we often highlight but ain't limited to just buffalo sports news media and entertainment i am your host patrick moran you can find me on twitter at pat moran tweets thank you so much for locking in today if you have not yet subscribed please go ahead and do that subscribe Turn those notifications on when you do that on your phone. And when you do that, new episodes will get sent right to that phone quite literally as soon as a new episode is published. So look, here's the deal, folks, man. I am always excited to be able to record something, get behind this microphone, hear myself talk, and then I throw it out there for the world to have the ability to consume if they so choose. That's a privilege to me and an honor And I love doing it, but there's a handful of guests that I have on this podcast from time to time where I get just a little bit of a, a little bit of an extra pep in my step, so to speak. And I'll tell you what, today is indeed one of them. And that's because I got my guy, Bruce Nolan from the Bruce exclusive. He's going to be on with me in just a couple minutes and 10 times now, man, 10 times I've had Bruce on Talking Buffalo podcast This is the eighth time he's going to be on by himself solo. Uh, The first time, in fact, the first time he was ever on, he was on with his partner at the time, Nick, when they had the Nick and Nolan show. And then recently, a handful of months or so ago, Bruce was part of my podcasters roundtable that I did alongside him, as well as uh, Greg Thompson and Joe Marino. But anyway, 10 times, man, and every single time I enjoy the honor very much. Of being able to chop it up with a guy like Bruce each time more and more. And you know why? I mean, look, simply put, and I've said this before. So if you listen to this podcast, dudes, this, this ain't new. I'm going to say it again. You know, in case you haven't nothing, but the utmost respect to many, many great bills, podcasters out there. There's a lot of great ones. Many of them I call my friend. All right. That said, I think Bruce Nolan is the single best podcaster out there. When it comes to the Bills, if you take in every element out there that makes her a great podcaster, that makes for a great show. I just, and again, nothing but respect to everyone out there, man. I just think Bruce is the best. And I'll tell you what, I was saying that shit nerd at what? The end of uh 2019 when I first started having him on. At that time, there were a lot of Bills fans. Twitter, uh, just, the the podcasting community had no clue who the dude even was said it then. I'm saying it now. And I imagine I'll be saying it again for some time to come. I don't give a shit. If it's the mainstream media, if it's alternative media, uh, the basement brigade, whatever you want to call it. It's my personal humble opinion that there's no one out there today who discusses the Buffalo bills or or has a better podcast covering the Buffalo Bills than Bruce Nolan Perry? And a story. I'm a fan, obviously, as you could as you could tell. I'm a fan of him as an on air talent. But the reason why I really get that pep in my step and a little bit a uh, little bit extra when when I have him on is because he's also a really good dude. In fact, to be honest with you, uh, almost like too good, like to the point that it annoys me. To be honest, I mean, <laughs> in fact. During my chat today with Bruce, you know, I flat out ask him, I'm like, why are you constantly appearing on pretty much everyone's podcast? Pretty much everybody that asks you to do the show, you do it. How do you do it? And why do you do it? Because Bruce is a busy guy, man. You know, he's a a busy dude. He's got, he's got a good career. He's married. He has got a wife and somehow, and he's got his own show twice a week, every Thursday and Friday, the Bruce exclusive. And somehow, way, this dude finds time, one time, two times, sometimes three times a week to jump on podcasts. Whether it's a bigger one like Lockdown Bills or a small indie podcast, he just finds the time to do it. And its it just blows my mind. And he says why. I mean, he tells me, and he's very matter of fact about it. He says that he's doing it. He's doing everything while he still can, while he has time to do it. He's trying to do as much as he can and, and take advantage of his time now. And he also, which, I mean, he brought up a great point too. He talks about this during our interview. Guys like uh, like Tim Graham and and guys like uh, Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN.com and, and others that they graced Bruce by doing his podcast when he was, you know, pretty much a nobody. Somebody that pretty much no one in the Bills media or or content community really knew anything about. So in some regards, in fact, in all regards, he's, he's humble about it and he's just, uh he's giving back. But anyway, his time and his ability to do as much as he does, it fascinates me. And that's one of the things uh, that we talk about today. I like having people on this show and you know this, if you're a regular listener, we don't just talk bills or or talk sabers. I like to spend some time getting to know these people. And in some cases like Bruce, who I've had on so many times now, I try to learn a little something uh, different about him that we haven't talked about. Like for an example today, I find out for the first time because I had never asked him before, like, you know so much about football. Like what other sports, if any, are you into? And there's one and only one. And, and he talks about that uh, during the interview. So we talk about that. And of course, I mean, we do dive in up tons of Bill's talk. Today, we're going to be like focused heavily on the, uh the trenches of this team, uh, the offense and, and the defensive lines. Uh, I, I get Bruce's initial and, and current thoughts on the Bills because after they used what? Four, their first four picks of the draft on defensive end and on offensive tackle, which I think many people were initially shocked by. I know I definitely was. So I get Bruce's takes on that. Uh, he talks about strategic roster structuring. And how Josh Allen's not so much now, but his near future, his contract that's coming soon, how that's playing a very large role right now in the brand of being thinking and in the construction of the roster of this team, not so much even for 2021, but for the next couple of years and why they're doing some of the things uh, that we do. So we hit on that. Uh, we also talk about a, a couple of veterans, a handful of them that are on this team currently who we think could be in the. Big, big trouble going into the summer, trying to make the the 53-man roster. Uh, Bruce highlights one position specifically that he's really eager to see play out during training camp, and it's not offensive or defensive line. <laughs> you know, and, and, then, and this is so Bruce, and this is what I'm kind of talking about. So at the very end of the interview, now, when I have Bruce on the show, I usually send him a brief outline. Bruce likes to know ahead of time, like, what we're going to talk about in detail when it comes to the Bills, like. For example, like today, I said, we're going to focus on the offensive and defensive lines. I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, an initial thoughts on the draft and how you think the roster is being built and why and so on and so forth so that he knows where we're going to be going with the with the main premise of the conversation. So he has an idea about that. But at the very end of of our conversation and literally out of the complete blue, he had tweeted something about some TV show and I like half saw and I couldn't remember what it was and I didn't want to go back on Twitter and find it. So I asked him about this TV show. I said. Give me a TV show to recommend. Literally, I asked him out of the clear blue at the very end. And like without losing stride, man, he 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 gives he just gives a recommendation or or description of this TV show that just was so much detail and so much color to a topic that again, he had no idea 20 seconds before I asked him that I was even gonna bring it up. And he just it just seems so effortless, you know? And and this is why this dude is just. Again, he's as good as anyone is out there today. Anyway, uh, I'm done here rambling at the top. Let's get at it, man. Here's my chat with my good buddy, known to the Bills world, and I guess social media as well as Bruce Nolan. All right, Bruce Nolan from the Bruce exclusive. And I've said it many times, I enjoy a lot of Buffalo Bills podcasts, but this is the preeminent one, my favorite, man. I love listening to it as much or more than any other, because he's always got interesting stuff to to cover. What's going on, Bruce? How you doing? Dude, it's a party all the time. Disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. <laughs> it is, and it's a party with you with your time, because I've talked to you about this in, in like Twitter DMs. Being generous in the podcasting community is cool, and it's important, and you've spoken about this before. We've done many podcasts here. Uh, I had you, Joe and Greg on for like a podcast casters round table, and We got of hit on that. So being generous with your time is cool, but you kind of take that to another level, man. Like you're always agreeing to be on someone's podcast, whether it's a big podcast, like Joe Marino's or a small one doesn't matter. Let's start here before we get into any bill stuff. Speak about your time management a little bit, because like, I don't know how you do it. Or sometimes why? Well, I do know why you do it because I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years, but how do you do it, man? How do you manage to have your career, family, your own podcast, and still somehow make time to to do all these other shows, which by the way, for people who know you, you take the time and make sure you're prepared too. you don't just jump on
1: without having any, any idea what you're going to talk about. Microsoft Outlook calendar is the answer <laughs> <laughs> and lots of reminders on my phone. No, I, I, I'm a very organized person. I think without that level of organization, there's no way I'd be able to pull off uh, what I'm able to pull off. Very busy guy uh, when it comes to my life outside of the podcasting universe. So being very structured allows you to be in a situation where you can make good use of your time and you don't find yourself doing inefficient things. Uh, I think that planning things out and being efficient with your minutes is important because you think, well, I'm already here. Let's do this. And wasted motion is something we talk a lot about when we come to, you know, kinesiology and, you know, um, fighting and football and you talk about gather steps with corners. And we talk about wasted motion in terms of physiology. We don't talk about wasted motion when it comes to time very much. And I try to spend as much time as humanly possible not wasting motion. And so that allows me to get a lot of stuff done in a smaller amount of time. That's the how I do it. The why I do it is simply because I recognize that there's going to be a day when I can't. There will come a day when I could be the most talented organizer in the history of mankind and it wouldn't matter at that point. My life does have a tendency to get busier over time. Things demand more and more of my time and I have to start making sacrifices. And there will come a day when I can no longer say yes to everything the way that I want to say yes to everything. And Until that day comes, I want to be the guy who came on your podcast and tried to help it be as good as it could be because other people have done that for me. When I was a tiny little podcast, Tim Graham came on the show and Matt Perino came on the show and Marcel Louis Jacques came on the show and they all showed me grace that they didn't have to show me. They didn't have to come on my show. There, there was nothing in it for them. There was nothing to be gained by them doing it. And so if I can't pass that forward, then what I'm saying intrinsically is that my time is more valuable and I have the availability, but I choose not to because I don't want to extend a hand that was extended to me. And I'm just not willing to do that. So that's the how and that's the why.
2: Well, that's very fair. And for the record, much credit to you because you have become a guy that everyone wants to have on their show. You know, I remember um, when I first had you on for the very first time on this podcast uh, with your partner at the time, Nick, and that was back in November of 2019. And obviously a lot has changed since then for you. Like at what point did you really start to get the sense that, not only are fans starting to get locked into what you have to say about the Buffalo bills and in the organization, but that you know pretty much all these podcasters out there, again, big and small, want a piece of you, man. They want to have you on your show, like, was it kind of like an organic thing that happened over time? Do you feel like it kind of happened
1: out of nowhere overnight? So what was that process like for you? I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest, uh, mostly because I can't. Uh, the organization that I mentioned previously requires and necessitates that I spend as much time thinking about the next thing to get done as humanly possible. So I really haven't spent any time at all thinking about, wow, you know, it's amazing how this all happened. Or, you know, it's it, it's fantastic that I suddenly became somebody who people wanted to talk to. Quite frankly, I don't really spend any time thinking about it. I know I'm blessed. I know that I've been shown grace that I don't deserve. And that's a good enough for me. Like I don't need to think about it any more than that because any more thought would take up time that I could be spending actually acting and actually doing good out there and actually trying to actually be a part of the community in a more holistic way. So I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest.
2: It's fair. Like I also feel this way too, by the way, like we all learn from each other in some way, some capacity, whether certain people want to believe that or not. I learned from some other Bills podcasters, including yourself. When it comes to you, I think our conversations on this show, and especially going back and listening to that podcasters roundtable that yourself and Joe Marino, Greg Thompson, and myself had on this podcast before. We spent a lot of, we didn't even talk any Buffalo Bills. In fact, we just talked about life and about podcasting. And I kind of learned about the importance of consistency from you when it comes to having a podcast, you, again, you spoke before on that and it kind of stuck on me. Like, for an example, you know, fans expect a show on Thursday. You better have a show ready on Thursday. I think this past year, it maybe it was a Friday, but I remember you had episodes out on Thanksgiving. I, I know you had one for Christmas or maybe New Year's Day and stuff like that. And I, I remember asking him, like, what are you, why are you, why are you you in an episode on on Christmas? And you were like, well, oh, because it's Friday. And, uh, I was the opposite. I used to take a uh, time off for myself and I learned that you can't really do that. So I really don't do that anymore. So that's definitely a, a lesson I've learned from you. Not without, with, with, without being specific, just from people that I know that you like and respect, guys like Joe and Greg and many other podcasts out there. I'm sure there's some stuff that you've kind of picked up along the way
1: and learned yourself, right? Absolutely, 100%. I, I've been fortunate enough to have relationships with people who are more talented than me. And that's great. It's wonderful to find people who are more talented than you who are willing to communicate what has made them successful. And Joe Marino, of course, has taken the opportunity to talk to me when I started initially doing solo shows and basically kind of stuck a little thought in my brain that maybe you can loosen up a little bit and maybe you can show a little bit of your personality. And that was a big part of it. Um, when it comes to Greg Tomset, Greg Tomset does a great job of recognizing his particular verbal style and making sure that something that's a style doesn't become a crutch and something that is something that you say a lot because you transition with that phrase. You want to make sure that that's something that is maybe a little dash in your vernacular, but not the entirety of your vernacular. And so Being able to have relationships with people who are more talented than me, I think is a big part of it because I'm able to kind of pick up things that I see in them, they see in themselves, and then then I'm able to reflect it onto me and say, okay, they see this in themselves. I need to see this in myself. And so that helps a lot. Now, I'm not clearly not there. I, I recently started doing live shows. In the last couple of months, I picked up live shows, and that's an entirely different animal altogether. It is not something that I am overly fond of by any means, but it's an opportunity to interact with my, I don't like using the word fans, my listeners in a different way. And it's really not about me. It's about them. And they want to interact with me in that way. And if I'm capable and competent, then I want to do that. If I'm not capable of doing it, then, you know, okay, I'm not going to force myself. And if I'm not competent in doing it, then I'm not going to give them a crappy product. But if I'm capable and I'm competent, then I want to make sure that I'm doing it. And that requires some introspection. And thankfully, I've attached myself to people who are gifted and their introspection, I can then learn and it becomes my introspection.
2: Before we get into some Bill's talk, and today we're going to focus on talking about the trenches on both sides of the line for the Buffalo Bills. Speak for a minute about Buffalo Rumlings, because obviously not only are you part of the Rumlings Network, but I kind of feel like I say, I, I want to say you're the face of Buffalo Rumlings, but like you literally are not the face of it because nobody <laughs> knows what that face even is. You are metaphorically the, the face of the franchise when it comes to Buffalo Rumlings. Let's just put it that way. But speak about like video elements, because that's something that's pretty new. At Rumlings now since Joe Miller's come over, and I know Jay Spence is doing some stuff. So there's a another element that you guys are working on building up literally from the ground.
1: So just kind of speak about that for a little bit. Well, we want to interact with fans however they want to interact with us. And that was the initial concept behind even starting the podcast network. And I came on the podcast network fairly early on in the inception of in the infancy of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. And Obviously, you have a blog and it's a big, big, big part in the foundational piece of what Buffalo Rumblings is. But then you want to make sure that that's not the only method by which people can reach you. And so then we started the podcast network and the podcast network has done wonderfully and we're very pleased and it continues to grow. And this is just the next step in that evolution. And we want people who consume Bill's content via YouTube, whether that's live or on demand, to be able to consume. Buffalo Rumblings content. And you have to have the right people to do it. You can't just throw it out there and say, well, we want to do this, let's do it. If you don't have the people, like you said, if we can't be competent in doing it, then we don't want to do it. So thankfully, we brought over Jay Spence and he was the beginning of breaking into the YouTube market, I guess, for Buffalo Rumblings. And then Joe Miller comes over and they already have a pre established relationship which means that they can keep doing Hump Day Hotline on Wednesday evenings and Joe can do overreaction on Sundays and Spence New Code of Conduct and we can do chop up during the season. And that's a nice little entry for us into the YouTube and video streaming and on-demand content world. So for us, it's just the next piece. And it's all about making sure that if you're a Buffalo Bills fan and you want to interact with us, we can get to you. Because we recognize it's not about trying to force a fan into consuming content the way that we want to deliver it. It's about reaching out to the fan who's already in that space. We're not going to say you need to go to the blog. We're going to say if you're a blog reader, you can come to us. If you're a YouTube listener or a YouTube watcher, then you can absolutely do that too. If you're a podcast person, you can do that too. And thankfully, I'm surrounded by tons of unbelievably talented people who write and do podcasts and do video and do behind the scenes work and do graphics and do social media for rumblings. And that makes it all work.
2: One more question for you. And then we'll dive into some bill stuff this is going, let's circle back to you a little bit here. So like your public uh, Twitter or just generally your public personality, the one that people see that consists pretty much entirely of your podcast or thoughts on the bills and dogs lot of dog pictures, a lot of food pics, especially on, on your Instagram. I rarely ever hear or see, I should say you tweet about like any other sports. Obviously you're a football guy and I know you clearly don't have a lot of time because you're always spending, again, your time, whether it's working with the family and doing other shows, but like, are there any other sports out there that like you're into or, or enjoy watching other than football?
1: Yeah. My wife and I watch mixed martial arts a lot. Yeah. That is my, my second love when it comes to athletic endeavors. And we enjoy watching that. We watch it almost every weekend when there is one on. And it becomes kind of the thing that we do when football is in its off season. And so that is something that we really enjoy. It hasn't always been something that we've enjoyed. It's always been something I've enjoyed. But as a general rule, if I can't do it with my wife, I don't typically do it. That's just the way it works. There are very few things that I do from a hobby standpoint or from a recreation standpoint in general that don't involve my wife. Because as I said, I'm a very busy guy. So if I have all these things that I'm going to do, and then with my free time, I have a choice of something I can do with my wife or something I can do without my wife, I'm going to pick with my wife. Well, a couple of years ago, she decided she was going to give watching mixed martial arts a shot. And she really enjoyed it. And so because of it, it became part of our relationship. Now we watch those things together. We watched the fight. We're recording this on Sunday and we watched the fight last night. We didn't watch. We didn't buy the pay-per-view, but we watched the fight and all the way up to the prelims and the prelim prelims. And then when it was done, we watched some TV and we went to bed. But that's something we've enjoyed doing now for the last couple of years. And I would anticipate that continue in the future. But that's pretty much it. I don't
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: To feel comfortable commenting. So I played other sports in high school and other places that I'm not going to get into because FBI might be listening. I was just going to say that, like, don't give too much away here, man. But I played other sports and I am familiar with other sports, but the sports I played or am, let's see, the sports I played and or am most familiar with are football and mixed martial arts. So I've seen a couple of baseball games. I've seen a handful of hockey games in my life. I've I watched a little bit of basketball, but nothing even close to football or mixed martial arts.
0: The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All right, I'm back with Bruce Nolan. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills offensive line. I want to get your thoughts on that. You got Dawkins, Ford, Morse, Feliciano, and Williams. All five are back from last year. All five were starters last year but I don't think all five of them played much or if, if at all together um so the interior especially the interior of the offensive line it just wasn't healthy at the same time at any point point. and I also recall Brandon being talking about in the offseason that the Bills don't have to run the football more often they just they need to run it better more effectively how much of that was on the line last year and just generally speaking before we get into a couple more specific things like Your thoughts on the starting offensive line, Then bringing back Feliciano and Daryl Williams obviously was a big part of that.
1: I think there's two things to take away from this offseason thus far when it comes to the Bills running the ball. The first one is either the Bills don't think it's a crazy priority to upgrade or they think they can upgrade without massive personnel changes. One of those two things is true. And be, the reason I say that is because they said they wanted to run the ball more effectively, but then brought back the same five. Obviously, Cody Ford is someone who didn't play a lot last year and brought back basically the same running back room aside from Brita. So because of that, either Ford's presence for a longer period of time is the thing that breaks out the running game, which is seems unlikely. Or the presence of Brita is something that breaks out the running game, which seems unlikely. Or it's not a super high priority for them to get better, which seems somewhat unlikely. Or they think they can make some adjustments to the scheme, which is really what you should take away from this discussion, is if you bring back all five of your starting offensive line and you barely make any adjustments to the running back room but you did say you wanted to run the ball more effectively, then either you're lying or you think more time on task or you think it's not really that important or you think the scheme can be upgraded. So those are the only real possibilities when you look at the Buffalo Bills and running the ball better. So you kind of isolated some variables with the Buffalo Bills that they think they can do better with the same personnel, which means you might see a scheme adjustment this year. But I think it's fascinating when you have a team that goes into the offseason with a stated goal, and then you go and watch how they go about doing it. It's just fascinating because you're watching their process at work. And I think that's fun. How surprised were you given that they did
2: bring back the same five from last year that they spent the money on Feliciano and especially that they, sent, they spent money on Darrell Williams, and not chump money either. I mean, not break the bank money, but good money on Darrell Williams. So how surprised were you when the draft rolled around last month and the Bills went with not only Spencer Brown in round three, but also came back with Tommy Doyle, another tackle in the fifth round. Because, I mean, offensive tackle appears to be a far bigger strength on this team, both short and long-term, because it's not like Williams or Dawkins are old. Um, or only on their contract for one year at this point. So it felt like to me, like offensive tackle was a bigger strength on the scene, both short and long-term over the interior. So, How surprised were you maybe initially, and and now after having some time to digest it, that the Bills ended up going offensive tackle in rounds three and
1: five? I was more surprised with Doyle than I was with Spencer Brown. When you have a swing tackle who was Ty Inseki size, you know, six foot eight, and then you drop off from that to your swing tackle scheduled to be Ryan Bates, you know, just north of 300 pounds, Ryan Bates, who's Mm -hmm. not the same size, then that's a fairly significant drop off in archetype. So the Spencer Brown pick makes sense to me. Now, I like Ryan Bates, but the Spencer Brown pick makes sense to me. The Tommy Doyle pick was a little bit more surprising because it feels like you doubled down at a position that you arguably didn't necessarily need to single down at, but I understood why you did it. When they drafted Spencer Brown, I specifically tweeted, well, the Bills backup tackle was scheduled to be Ryan Bates. So I guess Spencer Brown makes sense. Well, now when you double down on that and you make it Tommy Doyle, now you go, okay, now all of a sudden different things that Brandon Bean has said start leaking into your mind. For example, he said at the Combine, Last year in 2020, that you want to start looking a year ahead with the idea that you can let go of expensive veterans because you have somebody on the roster who can replace them. And now I didn't think that applied to players like Deion Dawkins or Darrell Williams. I didn't think things like that applied to players that they had that level of fondness for. Maybe it does. Maybe they make sure they have athletic good tackles under contract for the next four years so that if Deion Dawkins or Darrell Williams isn't living up to their contract in year two or year three, when Josh Allen money becomes real significant, they can get out. All of a sudden, that double down kind of changes a little thing for me when I start to kind of piece together why Brandon Bean is doing these things. So I thought it was fascinating, but I, I I was a little surprised by it, I think. Uh, Well, you just spoke about
2: Ryan Bates. Do you like him more than maybe the Bills front office does? Because, again, coming with one tackle, I absolutely see. But the second one really, uh, and you kind of just alluded to that, kind of surprised me. What's your take on Ryan Bates? Like, Do you like him? Do you think he's got a good opportunity to make this team? Or do you think what's transpired in this offseason between bringing Williams back, um, tendering Bakker, and drafting two tackles, that's really
1: going to crap on his chances, so to speak, of a make in this roster. I do like Ryan Bates. I I always liked his movement skills. Uh, There's a length issue and it's clear to me based on the archetype that the Buffalo Bills have selected that they really value length in their tackles and Ryan Bates doesn't have it. So absolutely I like him better than what it appears the Bills front office does because they have an archetype. They went from Ty and as their backup tackle to Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle, they skipped right over Ryan Bates. They want length in their tackles. And I understand that. Length is an important trait in tackles. I really like Ryan Bates' movement ability. I thought that he had an opportunity to be an Ike Butker-ish sort of player if they let him compete on the inside and they let Butker walk. Now, that didn't end up being the case. So it kind of me- leaves him with a man without an obvious position. But I think he's still a rosterable player and I wouldn't be surprised if he made the team. So you got five the five
2: starters. You got the two guys drafted in the, in the third and fifth round, respectively. That's seven right there. You, you mentioned Ike They retendered him, so that's eight. Bates potentially could be nine. And there was also a third drafted offensive lineman, uh, Jack Anderson, in the seventh round. I don't want to say he's a lock to make the roster being a seventh round pick. But, you know, that, that that's potentially another guy. And you still got Jameel Douglas and Bobby Hart. And uh, I'm looking at the depth chart. Now, four like well, He was a starter with the charges at one point. So you got realistically all these guys for between Bates, Douglas, Hart, Anderson, Lamp for the most maybe two spots. I mean, this is probably going to be a a pretty intense training camp with. The, there's going to be some players that we've heard of that that get
1: cut. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I agree that Anderson, Bates, Douglas, Hart, Lamp are probably competing for two spots. You're probably looking at Anderson, Bates, or Bates, Lamp, or Lamp, Anderson or Anderson, Douglas, or Douglas Bates, or Douglas Lamp. Like that's probably what you're looking for because I I have a hard time imagining Bobby Hart's going to make this team. Um I think he was a he was not a good player when he played in Cincinnati and I think that them picking him up was a preventative measure in the event they weren't able to pick up any tackles in the draft. So I'd be surprised if he made the team, but sometimes Injuries have a tendency to make these decisions for you. And sometimes trade offers have a tendency to make these decisions for you. If somebody ends up being flipped for a six, then that clears up a little bit of the issue. But I agree with that. I think Anderson, Bates, Douglas, Hart, Lamp, probably competing for two spots. I think of those, Bates, Douglas, Lamp have the best chance of making the team and then followed by Anderson, followed by Hart.
2: All right, so we spoke about the line and potentially, you know, the scheme being an issue with why they didn't, quote unquote, run the ball more effectively last year. What about the running back position itself? Like, what are your current thoughts right now on both Moss and Singletary? Which, by the way, what do you make of Singletary's body transformation this offseason? I mean, he got he got big. Um, you did mention that they added Matt Breida, and then also, so it was fun during draft season. You were dead serious, and rightfully so, about not wanting the Bills to take a running back in the first round because it was poor value, which is a the right take, but it was also something that we had a lot of fun with as well during draft season, kind of drive, pushing your buttons a little bit, trying to drive you nuts <laughs> in all these mock drafts and scenarios when they were taking them. I know I personally was having a lot of fun with that. But that aside, so scratch the first round, obviously, but were you a little surprised or or disappointed that the Bills did not do more at the running back position other than add Matt Breida, which kind of directly uh, connects to the question that I was asking you. Like, what are your
1: thoughts right now on Moss and Singletary being the two guys going forward? I was a little bit surprised, but I wasn't disappointed. I was on team hashtag do nothing on running backs this offseason. I wanted the Bills to make no significant investments of any sort in the running back position. Matt Breida is exactly the type of investment that I wanted the Bills to make. The thing that I think is interesting about Matt Breida is that I mentioned earlier that there might be a, maybe potentially a shift in scheme for the Bills running game. If there wasn't a shift in scheme for the Bills running game, Matt Breida is somebody who does his best work using the zone running system that the Bills used the majority of the time starting after I think about week four last year in 2020. So I think it's kind of ironic that you might think there's a shift, but then they go out and sign a running back who would be at his best if there wasn't a shift in philosophy. So I think that's interesting. It's just one of the more reasons why I don't really know what we're going to see from the Buffalo Bills and the running game as far as scheme goes this particular offseason and this upcoming season. So with Moss and Singletary, I think they're both completely reasonable running backs. And that's the only thing that I really need to clear. The only bar that needs to be cleared for me when it comes to running back is reasonable. Are they reasonable? Yes or no? Check the box, move on. That's the way I feel about running backs. Do, are they reasonable? Sure, yeah, okay. With Singletary off-season bodybuilding and everything, it doesn't move the needle for me at all. I don't really care. Um, there are very few amounts of running back body transformations that have significant effects. Most of them involve dropping weight to get faster. You saw that from Le'Veon Bell. You saw from Marshawn Lynch. Those are the things that, Actually, move the needle for specific types of running backs is people who come into the league a little bit heavy. The Steelers tried to do it again with Benny Snell, have someone who comes in the league a little bit heavy and have them drop some weight. As mentioned, Le'Veon Bell did it as well. Marshawn Lynch did it when he went to well, when, yeah, excuse me when he went to Seattle. So those are the only types of body transformations that really make significant changes. Boking up has there isn't really a track record of running backs who bulked up in their second or third season, and then all of a sudden saw significant amounts of benefit to their game. So it could be nice, but it just doesn't move the needle for me as far as a narrative goes.
2: Uh, with, with these guys, and I know you're going to need camp in possibly the preseason to have a more uh, informed opinion or take, so to speak, but you're cut right now, and it's only May, but when it comes to these running backs, these three guys, again, they didn't draft anyone and inside on anyone other than Brita, how do you see it playing out? Like, what does your gut tell you right now? Are you looking at a like a, an equal timeshare between Moss and Singletary? Do you think that one or the other might have a good opportunity to kind of take the bull by the horn and run with it, like literally and figuratively and become that number one back? Or do you kind of just see that, that, that time split right now?
1: I see a time split, not just because one of them is not massively more talented than the other, but because Sean McDermott openly defended Using a far less effective Frank Gore in downs that we were begging him to give the ball to Devin Singletary. And when asked about it, he openly said, It's not good for one person to carry the entire load. So he philosophically took a stance in using a less effective running back, a clearly less effective running back based on philosophy. So if he rolled out a less effective Frank Gore, then That philosophy isn't going to change when he's dealing with Moss and Singletary. So I would be shocked if one running back, barring something where one person gets fumbleitis or something, I would be absolutely shocked if the Buffalo Bills started giving one running back 18 to 19 carries a game. I'd be floored. Does it feel
2: like Sean McDermott has a short leash with both these guys? Because we've seen Singletary get benched for a fumble. We've seen that happen last year with Moss. I think it was against Frisco. It's, he seems, it's like he's got a short leash
1: with both these guys. Yes. His patience level for running backs is very low. Very low. It is. It is. <laughs> All right. Well, let's flip to the other
2: side of the ball. Cause we are kind of focusing on the trenches today. I want to get your initial thoughts at the time and thoughts now at the bills using not just their first, but their first two picks. on defensive end first with Gregory Rizzo and Carlos Bastian jr. I think Basham was the bigger surprise. I don't think defensive end was so much a surprise, but I mean, Rizzo to get drafted with Jason Oa and Joe Tyron on the board as well. I think those guys, in fact, they might've went the next two picks directly after him. But like, what were your
1: initial thoughts then and now about both those guys? I think I misevaluated what NFL teams were going to like Gregory Russo. When I was studying Gregory Russo, I was thinking, okay, best case scenario, he's an Eric Armstead. You put a lot of weight on him, maybe 20, 25 pounds, and you make him a five tech. And so when the Bills initially drafted him, I was like, "Um, okay, what you doing here? And then I started thinking about the archetypes for the Buffalo Bills and how they literally just drafted a player who had a similar narrative about him coming out last year in AJ Epinesa. A lot of people thought you put some weight on AJ Epinesa. Now, the Bills went the opposite direction, had him lose some weight. But a lot of people thought you stack some weight on AJ Epinesa, he becomes a five tech. And I kind of felt stupid, to be honest, Pat. I felt kind of dumb. I was like, I should have seen this coming. I did an entire podcast after the draft called Why We Shouldn't Be Surprised, specifically manifested because I felt like a moron. I was like, oh my gosh, of course they drafted Gregory Rousseau. Of course they did. All of a sudden, all the pieces in my head started coming together, and I felt like the biggest idiot in the history of mankind. I was like, of course they drafted Gregory Rousseau. Of course they didn't draft Jason Oway. Why would they draft him? He's not the type. Gregory Russo is the type. They've already shown us what the type looks like when they drafted AJ Epinesa. We already knew what the type looked like with Coney Ely and Greg Hardy and Charles Johnson. And all the players that you've seen come in and out of Sean McDermott's room. Of course, they drafted Gregory Rousseau. So I felt kind of dumb. Carlos Basham is actually a more surprising pick from an archetype standpoint because he doesn't have the length that they historically look for on both sides of the ball. I already mentioned that they like it in their offensive tackles. Guess what? They like it in their ends too. As a general rule, if you value If you value length on one side of the ball, then obviously you're going to value it on the other side of the ball because it provides you the same amount of physical leverage. So Basham is a more surprising pick to me because he doesn't necessarily fit the archetype from a length standpoint, but his ability to reduce down inside means that maybe they think they can get a cheaper Quentin Jefferson. When Quentin Jefferson came on board last year, I thought that you would see some inside outside stuff from him. And because... Of the one tech problems that the Buffalo Bills had, he ended up being inside, inside, three tech, one tech, instead of three tech edge, which is what I thought we were gonna see from him. So they had to get rid of him. And that was a salary cap maneuver because they were able to clear a lot of space. They're probably thinking, goodness gracious, a second round pick is gonna make a little over a million dollars a year on a four year deal. So we can get a markedly cheaper version of Quentin Jefferson. Right here falling into our lap. We were gonna trade down, but if I can replace Quentin Jefferson with a markedly cheaper version, I'm gonna do that. So I don't think Basham fits the type, but he does fit something that they thought they were getting before. You look at both the rookies and you can even
2: add AJ Vanessa. So the rookies next year will be year two players, and AJ will be a a third year player. And you look at their cap number combined, it should be around like seven million next year. For all three of them combined. And then you look at this year's cap with Hughes and Addison, and they're scheduled to make over $17.5 million against the cap this year, those two guys. So it's double of the price. So obviously, I mean, I know I'm asking you a rhetorical question here, but beyond just the football operations standpoint of it, money has a lot to do with this too, right? Because over, over the next couple of years, you got some dirt cheap,
1: hopefully good defensive ends, right? Now, it's really important to note that when you get your quarterback into a big deal. The first couple of years after that big money activates, that's when it's the worst deal for you. So let's assume for a second, you get a $40 million contract. And just for the sake of numbers, and because this is not a visual medium, let's say it's $40 million average annual value every year after the fifth year option. Okay, So the bills play this year with Allen on his deal, next year they have a fifth-year option, and then all of a sudden he goes 40 million, it stays that way. Okay. Now I know that's not the way contracts work, but just for the sake of this argument, let's just say it is. So the second that big money hits, it becomes the worst value it's ever gonna be. The longer it goes, the better value it is, because the smaller percentage of the cap it takes place every year as the cap goes up. So the question for your organization. Is it how are you going to fit it under your contract? It's where are you going to see to it you have a value advantage during those first couple of years? So when Josh Allen's number is as big a percentage of the cap as it's ever going to be, which is right when the big money hits, right? Year one, year two, maybe year three, the Bills have made a call that those years. They want to make sure they don't have expensive players at positions on their team if they don't have to. So what you saw was you saw them do this, I mentioned earlier, Tommy Doyle, Spencer Brown. Let's say Daryl Williams takes a step back. They have the ability to not have a 9 million dollar right tackle and they can have Tommy Doyle or Spencer Brown there. Let's say that Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison they hit the wall because of their age, or maybe they even don't hit the wall, but they get surpassed in efficacy by some of the younger people. Like you said, now they can have their top three defensive ends be 6 to $7 million against the cap instead of, goodness gracious, what was Murphy, Hughes, and Addison were all nine plus million dollars a year. Yeah. So the bills have made a call and they've said, okay, when this money hits for Josh Allen, we have the ability to get away from expensive veterans, and we have highly touted talented rookies behind them because we believe these positions are important. And we don't wanna have expensive players there, but we do wanna have good players there. So you look at Josh Allen's contract and you go, okay, you might have to make some cuts someplace. And I wanna cut money, but I don't wanna cut talent. So to do that, I need to draft these positions high so that if I need to cut money, I don't sacrifice talent which makes sense as to why they invested in these two positions. It, yeah,
2: and I'll tell you, having time to, to digest the draft got me to think in the way that you just spelled out because again, my knee jerk reaction was, I didn't like it, but this is legit roster building or maintaining a core. Whereas they could have invested money in other positions, but you know, then you are stuck with lesser talent if you do get rid of walk away from Daryl Williams or, or from Jerry Hughes, after the share, which by the way, side question, I know, at least I think that you were team cornerback going into this draft, as was I, if it wasn't going to be Travis Etienne, which I was only like half-hearted about that to begin with, but like, so I got to pick 25 for me personally, at least anyway, and then Travis Etienne went off the board of Jacksonville, which honestly, I was glad to see that because I did not want to be caught in the position where the Bills would have even had to make that decision. But that next pick, uh, Greg Newsom went off to Cleveland at 26. And for me, that kind of like the, the wind went out of my sails at that point. When it got to be that point in the draft, 25, 26, and he was still on the board, were you a, did you work yourself to the mindset that that's the guy that you wanted? Or was there another guy that you, did you want a corner
1: at that point? Yes, I wanted Greg Newsom. Greg Newsom had the best hips, I think, in this entire draft. And that is specifically the trait that I was pounding the table for. So if you go get a CB2, but you don't get a CB2 that actually fits the reason why I've been pounding a table for a CB2, then it becomes sort of a half-hearted thing for me personally, because I've been saying that I want a better athlete at CB2, but why? Why do I want a better athlete at CB2? It's so that the Bills can run a more varied coverage set on the back end and force quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes to be forced to hold the ball longer because you never really know what you're going to get. The Buffalo Bills do a great job in their palms coverage and they do a great job in cover three and quarters. They do the thing that they need to do, but they don't run an overly complex or exotic back look. And they probably shouldn't because they can't because they don't have a CB2 who can turn and run in man coverage with athletic or big receivers. And I would love for them to make a personnel adjustment there so that they can do that. But if you don't get a corner who has the ability to do that, then what's the point? You might as well just stick with Levi Wallace and with Dane Jackson. It's one of the reasons why I'm not on the Richard Sherman bandwagon. I don't want the Bills to bring in Richard Sherman because I'm okay with it. I think he's a better version of Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson, but he doesn't do the thing that I say I want an upgraded CB2 to do. And that's, he doesn't allow you to run more man coverage. If anything, you might be able to run less man coverage with the presence of Richard Sherman. Now that doesn't mean he's not a more effective player. He's a great player, but I don't think that talent level at CB2 is necessarily the reason why the bills past defense took a step back last year in the coverage portion. I think it's style at CB2 now talents part of that, but it's not just getting more talented Levi Wallace. I don't want a more talented Levi Wallace. I want an entirely different style of player and Greg, Russo, Greg Newsom is. That type of talented player. So yes, I was very excited when he got past Jacksonville. But to be fair, I thought the Browns were going to take a corner the whole time. So I wasn't going to get super invested until after Newsom got past the Browns. If he would have gotten past the Browns, then the last bastion for me was the New Orleans Saints to take Greg Newsom. That's one of the reasons why I never thought he was going to make it to us. It's because the Browns and the Saints, both of whom had glaring needs at corner, were in front of us. And it was the same way I felt about Ifayatu Melifonwu in the second round. I thought once he got past Seattle at 56, I thought, okay, this is a good pick at 61. And then the Bills went with Basham. But I had the same feeling with Greg Newsom. I never really thought he was going to get there. So I wasn't getting my hopes super up, which is why the wind didn't really come out of my sails. But yes, I would have liked Newsom. I never thought he was going to get past the early 20s. So once he got to
2: 24, 25, I I foolishly allowed myself to... To get some home, I want to follow up because you said something about Richard Sherman with another veteran out there. A question about them, and mind you, again we are taping this on Sunday, so something up on Amazon Monday. Oh well. But uh, Stephen Nelson is a name that I hear fans at least talking about a lot. I don't know a lot about him. I know he's a good corner, but I really don't know his style that much. Like, do you think he could be a good fit? You said Richard Sherman wouldn't do much to excite you. What about if the Bills were to to have interest in,
1: in a guy like Stephen Nelson? Would you like that move or no? I would. I would like Steven Nelson quite a bit. I think that Nelson has the ability to play in man. I mean, this is a 4-4 guy. You know, he was lower. He was, I think he was a 4-4-9 or something coming out of Oregon State, 4-4-8. And he is someone who can play a variety of coverage. And the Steelers are a team that likes to bring blitzing and they like to allow their cornerbacks to play man on the back end. And he's someone who has been tasked with being on an island on occasion. And when the Steelers got Minka Fitzpatrick, they employed him in a completely different way than the Dolphins did. And that was wonderful. And he does a a pretty good job of protecting the corners, but it's not quite the same as Micah Hyde and Levi Wallace. You know, one of the reasons why the Buffalo Bills consistently have less big pass plays against them than any other team in the league is because of Micah Hyde. Now, you remember last offseason, I was doing the top 20 Buffalo Bills players. And I had Micah Hyde extremely high on the list. He was number two on the entire list. I remember. So you know how I feel about Micah Hyde. And one of the reasons I feel that way about Micah Hyde is because I feel like his job is so necessary because you don't have corners who can turn a run. So Micah Hyde, as great as he is, might become less necessary if you had a corner who could turn and run, which is good. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because if you need Micah Hyde to save your butt, and then he gets hurt, you're in trouble because Jaquan Johnson's now in that spot. And I don't want Jaquan Johnson to save my butt. And then that trickles into not being able to have Jordan Poyer around the line of scrimmage and trigger downhill and things that he's good at. So it all trickles from not having a CB2 can run, which then necessitates keeping Hyde to cover their butts. And then that necessitates not having spots if someone gets hurt. And all this stuff trickles into everything else. Adding a player like Steven Nelson would help plug that and I'd be in favor of it. Let's switch back to
2: the defensive end position. So you draft two rookies, obviously at this point, I think Daryl Johnson, and this is going on the, the assumption that all everyone stays healthy at camp. I mean, it never worked out that way, but if that does, Daryl Johnson's obviously in a world of trouble because if you keep Houston Addison and plus you got A.J. Effinesan and, and the two rookies right there, that's five defensive ends. And what about Effie Obata? I mean, this is a guy they signed a one-year deal Hey, I think he had five and a half sacks with Carolina last year. Some promise, uh, some upside left. I I think anyway. And he's only got like a like a 1.4 million cap it this year. So it's not like it's it wouldn't be a financial decision to cut him. It would have to be a football one. Is this do you see this team carrying again if everyone stays healthy, six defensive ends? Because I, I feel like realistically, they're gonna need to keep six to, to for FA Obata to make this football team, right?
1: Yeah, I do think there's a chance they carry six and four defensive tackles. In fact, there is there's part of me that wonders if they would go crazy and keep six defensive ends and three defensive tackles. Now, I know that's very, very, very uncommon. So I'm not willing to say that they're going to do it because that's an extremely uncommon move. But if you think that Butler can be your backup one tech and you think your backup three tech can be done by kicking F.A. Obata inside and then also reducing down Carlos Basham, then you have essentially two one techs. You have three or four three tech players because you have Oliver, you have uh, you have Oliver, you have Basham, you have Obada, and then you have Gregory Russo, who can rush from the inside. So you might not even need to carry a traditional backup three tech if you think Vernon Butler can back up both spots and potentially back up one tech. And then also you have multiple ends who can reduce down inside. So I would not be shocked. I think it would be uncommon. We're not used to seeing teams carry only three defensive tackles. But if you carried Justin Zimmer on the practice squad or something, if you carry six and four, that would make a lot of sense to me. If you carried six and three, I still wouldn't be surprised. I was going to ask you about Zimmer and you you mentioned potentially the practice
2: squad, assuming another team didn't want to sign him. Do you think he could be in trouble this summer and also uh. Harrison Phillips, because again, obviously you got Ed Oliver and started with eight and Butler. So even if you kept three defensive tackles, that's three right there. If you keep four, then you're getting in the Phillips and Zimmer territory. If they don't bring anybody else in before camp, do you like his chances of
1: making this team right now? I don't think he should be super comfortable because he hasn't played to the point where he should be at this point. The reason Harrison Phillips is being thought of as a player who's probably going to make this team is just because of numbers. It's not because he's irreplaceable. We're not looking at Harrison Phillips right now and going, well, man, that's gonna be a tough cut. I mean, you, you got to keep him on the roster. He's, he's a really good player. Nobody thinks that Harrison Phillips has not been an overly effective player over the course of his career thus far with the bills. So because of that, if you look at a player and go, well, I mean, you got to keep him numbers wise, then chances are you probably don't have to keep him. Because this team is talented enough where you no longer have to keep players like that. You've got enough versatile pieces where you can make up for a lack of a player who doesn't need to necessarily be there to make a significant impact. So absolutely, I do think Harrison Phillips and Justin Zimmer are both probably on watch for this defensive tackle room.
2: Uh Let me get one more question in and then uh, we'll wrap up here. One's bills related, one's about the league and let's start there around the league. So now the draft's over, there'll still be some movement here and there, a couple guys look at sign, who knows, maybe there'll be a trade or so, but as of right now, this moment, like who are a few of your, uh, what teams do you think have had like the best off seasons? Give me a few teams that you looked at their off season in totality, whether it was trades or free agency, the draft, you combine all that and you really like where they're headed. Uh, not necessarily a Super Bowl contender based off this off season, but a team, a couple teams that you really feel improved their stock going forward. And then bills related I mean, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about the lines and so obviously I think there'll be some good training camp battle competition going on there, but, uh, is there another position or two, maybe another potential roster battle or depth chart battle or two going into Bill's training camp that you're particularly looking forward to, to see and play out this summer?
1: Okay. First question team that I like as far as off season This is the second year in a row I have really, really, really liked what the Browns did. And it makes me mad. Yeah, (laughs) I don't like the fact that I like it, but I absolutely do. I loved the John Johnson contract for them in free agency. I love the Anthony Walker. I love the Troy Hill. I love the Malik Jackson. I really like a lot of the things that they did. The clowny move is whatever for me, but I loved Newsom and I loved a lot of their draft picks. I think the Browns are an example of a team that, I mean, they got Jeremiah Wusu Koromo in the second, and I think he's going to be a stud for them. And they're a team who correctly identified what it is that held them back last year. And it was defense specifically in the back seven. And so for them, they invested in that, but they didn't go crazy. All of those contracts are reasonable. So they strategically and efficiently invested in the areas in which they were weakest that held them back last year. And so when you look at the Browns, you think to yourself, that's that's a team that is reasonable. I think that if Baker Mayfield is able to take another step, that would be helpful. If it turns out that Baker Mayfield is Kirk Cousins, then they're always going to be held back by the fact that Baker Mayfield's Kirk Cousins. But if he takes a next step, if he gets to the level of competency running that Stefanski offense that you saw from Golf during the Super Bowl years for Los Angeles, if you see it from Ryan Tannehill, for example, in Tennessee, if Baker Mayfield becomes Tennessee Tannehill, that's good enough for them to win a Super Bowl. You can win a Super Bowl with Tennessee with Tennessee Tannehill. The problem that the Titans had was mostly defensive most of the year. It was terrible. Their defense was awful. And the Browns had a very similar scenario. And so the Browns have a great offensive line. They got a good tight end room. Now, I do think that the returning Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be fascinating because there was a discussion, I made a tweet about it earlier in the 2020 season, that Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham were still looking for chemistry going into year two. And Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs had chemistry going into game two. So I think that was something that we probably didn't talk about enough that we probably should have is just how quickly Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs were able to find chemistry because it's not that easy for other teams and other players and other offensive systems and other quarterbacks and other wide receivers. So for me, the Cleveland Browns did a wonderful job this off season. As far as training camp battles go, I think wide receiver is going to be a lot of fun every year. I always think they're going to keep seven and they never do. because they're going to keep, I always think because you run a lot of 11 and 10 personnel, you should carry seven and then they never carry seven. So with the understanding that I'm going to continue to predict them carrying six, right? I, I keep thinking it's a little bit like the corner scenario, right? I I've been burned too many times by thinking that the Bills are going to draft a corner on day one or day two, I'm never going to mock them a corner on day one or day two ever again. <laughs> like until they do it, I'm never going to do it. Like fool me once, shame right. on, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of scenario. So it's a very similar scenario for me and wide receivers because I think they're going to keep six. And the reason I keep, they're going to, they think they're going to keep six is because they always keep six. So because of that, I am going to be fascinated because you have Isaiah Hodgins who they stashed last year. And then you also brought back Isaiah McKenzie and you drafted Marquez Stevenson. So those three players appear to be competing because you have Diggs, Sanders, Beasley, Davis as your top four, pretty obviously locked in. And then after that, you've got probably two spots. So for me, I think it's going to be fun to see what the bills do at receiver, because you do have a drafted player who would help you fill one half of what you filled with Andre Roberts because Marquette Stevenson is a kick returner. So you have a kick returner in him and then you have a punt returner in McKenzie. Does that mean Isaiah Hodgins is out or did you stash them because you wanted to have a bigger slot player? And that's kind of what he gives you and a bigger slot. David Nelson sort of like ability from the slot. Great hands from Isaiah Hodgins. How has he developed over the last year? I've been fascinated by Isaiah Hodgins because I actually liked him better than Gabriel Davis when he came out. I remember that. uh, We just kind of forgot about it. So for me, it's going to be fascinating because it it tells you a little bit something about stylistically. Hodgins gives you something you don't have on the roster, but at the same time, you drafted Marquez Stevenson and you get a kick returner, but he doesn't really return punts, but Isaiah McKenzie doesn't really return kicks. So it's this weird scenario where you think the obvious solution is keep seven, right? That's what you think the solution is, but they don't keep seven. So that's why it's going to be fascinating.
2: Before I let you go. And by the way, everybody check out the Bruce exclusive every Thursday, every Friday, that will get you through these months until training camp. I promise you that twice a week I want to, and you know what? So this is the, I'm looking at it now. So you've been on the show 10 and you know, I'm sitting there not bitching, but I'm like, why are you do so many shows? It kind of feels like a a contradiction from you, considering you've done this show, literally been on this show 10 times now, eight of them by yourself and uh, twice with with other guests as well. I want to get a TV recommendation from you because I can't find it on Twitter and, uh, and I'm too lazy to, to, to dig into it too much, but you recommended a TV show on Twitter. that kind of caught, uh, caught my eyes. So tell me about that show. I've been looking for shows to binge right now because if not, I'm going to get into the office for like. A 70,000 time, and I don't want to binge at it again right now. So I know you were talking about a show on Twitter. So tell me and tell the listeners about
1: it. And that's how we'll end today. I appreciate television that does something different. I feel like a lot of television programs nowadays, because they cost so much to make and because our general attention span as a society is so little, I have a feeling that you see less risk taking from. TV executives than you've ever seen. There's another legal drama and another medical drama and another crime drama and there's another police drama. And I'm just like, okay, you know what? I, I, I've seen enough of these. If I see one more hospital drama come out, I'm going to stab myself in the eye with a spork. And so <laughs> for me, it's about seeing something different. One of the shows that I really, really enjoyed a long time ago that only ran for one season and is a great example of this was NBC's Awake, starring Jason Isaacs. It was about a man who got in a car accident, And the trauma that he experienced from losing his wife and or his son actually split his psyche into two parts. And every day he goes to bed and he wakes up in a different reality. One reality where his wife passed away in the car accident and the other reality, his son passed away in the car accident, but his wife lived. So every day he wakes up alternating back and forth in realities. He's trying to figure out what happened to him. And meanwhile, he's talking to his therapist, mind you, in both realities, both of whom are trying to convince him that the other reality is a delusion. And this is a fascinating thing. And the reason why I even bring that up is because that show got canceled, even though it was fantastic and had critical acclaim after one season, at the same time that Jersey Shore got extended for another season. And so I use that as an example, as far as why, you know, as a collective, you know, culture, We don't do a great job of appreciating things that are unique and have a bold take on things. Well, the show that I recommended on Twitter was from FX and it's a show called Man Seeking Woman and it stars Jay Baruchel and it's about him trying to find a long-term mate and you would think that sounds pretty straightforward but what it's done is it's done in a very surreal style and what that means is that when you look at things through him, you are looking at these situations that you and I and everyone else can relate to. The awkward first date, the meeting the parents, the I don't know what to say moment, the does she like me? Should I text back? What do I tell her? All of those moments are extrapolated like gigantic, huge, sur- surreal moments. As a great example, he is trying to determine, he met a girl on the train and he is trying to determine whether or not to text her back. And most of the episode is just that him trying to determine whether or not to text her back. And the way that he sees it in his head is he sees it like a gigantic war room. Like we're all making nuclear launch decisions. And there's all these generals yelling in his ear of all the things, different things he should say. And he's trying to compete. He's trying to text this thing and they're putting it up on the screen in front of him. Like it's a gigantic life or death decision. And that's the moment that makes it connect with viewers. We all go, I've been there, man. I have been in that weird spot where I don't know what to say. And it feels like every single word is like the end of the world. And if I don't get this text just right, she's not going to want to talk to me again. We've all been in those moments before, but we haven't seen them explained in such a way before. And so each individual step of a relationship, starting with the breakup, and then going through all the process of being single, trying to go out on blind dates, trying to go out on normal dates, texting back, meeting parents, all of these moments are pulled out and their emotionality to us is given, it's given visual life by these surreal moments that they inject into the show. And so I really enjoy it because it's different. It's unique. It's a fun, I mean, technically it's a romantic comedy, right? It's very, it's on FX. So it's, it's, it, there's very crude style of humor. So mm-hmm. you can expect that, but I really enjoy it. And it, I think FX does a really good job. You're the worst is one of my favorite shows. And that's an FX show as well. Uh, Justified is one of my favorite shows that's on FX as well. So I enjoy those particular types of shows that they're busting out there in FX and man seeking woman is one I really enjoyed. All right, boys and girls, that is going
2: to do it for another episode. One more time, big thank you. One of the best to do it. My man, Bruce Nolan. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at Bruce Exclusive. And of course, check out the Bruce Exclusive every Thursday, every Friday, part of the Buffalo Rumleys Network. You're not going to find a better Bills podcast out there. Period. End of story. I promise you that. That said, if you have not yet subscribed, to this podcast, do that right now. Please, please go and do that right now. Subscribe, rate and review. It takes like 20 seconds to do. And it really helps me continue to grow the show tremendously. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all of them. You can find us anywhere. And when you subscribe, new episodes can get sent right to your phone or to whatever listening device that you check out podcasts on quite literally as soon as they're published. So go do that. Then, last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets. I'm always on Twitter. I have announcements about this podcast, some promos. Uh, I talk about some upcoming guests, sports talk, all kinds of stuff. I am always on Twitter. So, check me out there, at Pamoran Tweets. Thank you so, so much for listening. There's so many great shows out there. Bruce, Joe, Greg, fanatics, people. There's just a ton on of great shows out there. So when you're locked into this one, I promise you, man, it does not go lost on me. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you. I truly do. So thank you very much. Stay safe. Have a good one. I'll be back with a brand new show. You know what? I don't know. Maybe Friday or maybe before that.